This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy. The number one fuckboy. The number one fuckboy. All you gotta do is trust me. The number one fuckboy, Johnny G. Not in the High and Mighty studios, but actually in the HeadGum studios, which is rather exciting for me. Because when I have a big-time guest, and this is, of course, shade to all my previous guests that had to sit in my office and smell pot smoke and deal with Arthur licking their calves. Here, we're in the HeadGum studio because we have a professional guest, someone I've been listening to slash watching since I was a child, from the, uh, the co-host of the Small Town Dicks podcast, a voice on, maybe you've heard of the show, The Simpsons, and more importantly, from the film Maximum Overdrive, written and directed by Stephen King, put your fucking hands together for Yardley Smith! Oh my, how do I follow that? Uh, you don't have to. Let's wrap it up. It was a pleasure here. Do you awesome. have any plugs? Thank you. That, uh, you did it all. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is I, so although exciting. I have to say, I'm, I'm sad not to meet Arthur. I've heard so much about Arthur, your... What, what do you say? He's your nearly silent, nearly silent yeah, uh, co-host. Yeah, I would have brought him, but he's a little bit of a punk. And I think if he got into beef with Big Lady D, who you met downstairs, she would just <laughs> leave him flat. on sure. the yeah. <laughs> he, and It's only because he's an old cranky man now. Sure. That's why we get, that's why him and I get along so well. And he's well. itty bitty. <laughs> yes, he's a tiny little right, dude. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would be carried around by D like a toy all afternoon. <laughs> do they know that D is a big... Oh yeah, dog. D is a giant lady pit bull, yeah. uh, and she's a beauty, but she look she's strong. She sure. seems she's visibly strong. And Arthur <laughs> might look like lunch. Yeah, very much. <laughs> and also, Arthur would be asking for it because he is like the word we use is a prick. Sure, <laughs> sure. There you have it. Uh, so um, I'll text you pictures of Arthur so that you can feel okay. so you can play along at home, listeners. I'll text every listener a, podcast, a picture of my dog <laughs> uh, from Yardley's phone number so you can awesome. respond to her. Yay. Um, well. <laughs> I'm so pumped that you're here to come on High and Mighty and then scary enough that you listen to episodes ahead of time so you know that this is a trap to get you to just have to confess major personal things. <laughs> that's, her, that's sort of what I do. I'm not a very good liar. Yeah. Well, that's what I learned way late, way too late in life is that if you just tell the truth, no matter how fucked up the truth is, you're oh, in the end, you're going to get in less trouble than if you lie. That's true, actually. I, I used to grow up. I used to grow up. That phrase makes no sense. But I used to lie so much when I was growing up. And like just for self-preservation, just to like not get in trouble. But I remember going to the fucking mattresses for lies, like screaming in my parents' face like, how come you don't believe me? I swear it wasn't me. And I'm like tears in my eyes. I'm like, how could you can't. Gr-? And I'm like in my own head intellectualizing like. Holy shit, I'm lying. I'm in so deep. What am I going to do yeah. when they call me on this? And don't you find that now as a grown-up, I don't I don't have kids, but I even but certainly as a grown-up now, I realize like my parents were they so new. They were so fucking on to me. Oh. I now I was not a big liar as a kid. I was very straight and narrow. I sort of did everything by the book, but I did do a few things and I and I remember feeling like, oh, I'm sure my mother doesn't know. And now at the age of 55, I'm like, are you an idiot? Uh, I don't have kids either. But when you're hanging out with a friend with kids and like the kid comes over and they're like, were you just outside? And they're like, no. And they're like, nose is running. (laughs) And they're like, and they're like, they have grass stains on their knees. And they're like, no. And you're like, Oh, the mom, like same thing for when you're 15. Like, did you smoke? You're like, no. It's like, they know. They always knew. And and it took me to be 30, uh, 37 years old to look back and go like, yeah, I bet you my mom and dad knew I wasn't playing tag at 16. <laughs> like right, I was right. like, sorry, I'm all sweaty. We were out playing tag all night. And yes, my breath smells like natty light. <laughs> 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 but in my head, I was like, they think I was playing tag. The, yeah. These idiots. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm a 16-year-old who doesn't realize that I'm busted. But my parents are also like, all right, well, he's home safe. Who cares? Right, right. <laughs> And what was the what made you decide to turn it around and tell the truth? What was that moment for you? A few times in my life, I copped to what I thought I was going to get in trouble for. Like I'm trying to think of a specific moment, but it happened. Started happening more in college, where I started just being uh, more honest to people, and not even like 
more honest, like I was lying all the time, but I just kind of backed off like excuses, I guess was the main thing. Like, uh, whatever you want to call that, like fake justifications that you'd be like, sorry, I didn't do blank, but cause I was blah, blah, blah. And I just started being like, I straight up blank. I flaked. I forgot. I didn't want to do this thing. And I found that it was very easy to keep your reality straight when sure. you were telling the truth. Like there was no, and like in college, you know, you're, I'm starting to get in the hot water with between like work, teachers, projects, girls, like all that stuff is happening. And I'm like, I can't maintain lies. But then I realized being truthful got me into so much less trouble. And I think people, even if they might not like the truth, which is I didn't want to do that thing, you can't really argue with that because it's so obviously the truth. Right. They kind of respect you for it. Also, they'll go to, like, if you lie, it's just as offensive, like, as if you tell the truth, really, in the law. And if it's 8% more offensive, at least you don't you, you feel honest <laughs> that, you know, like, you can deal with a shaft of 8%. Right. Yeah. And it's just such a, it's such a minor thing that it takes so long to realize. And I, uh, here's my other behavior that I've recently learned, probably at the age of, I'm going to be 38 in, like, five days. Uh, uh, at the birthday. age of Thank you. Uh, actually, yeah, this is, I'm probably already 38 by the time this podcast comes out, <laughs> assuming Yardley doesn't choke me at the end of this podcast into submission. Um, something I learned recently was the ability to, like, and this has been a skill that has saved my life. T two things. Two things, minor social things that have changed my life. The ability to say, I'm sorry, remind me your name again. Yes. Uh, saying that to someone has been so freeing. Yes. So freeing. And then the other one is, this has been great. I got to keep like, I got to kind of run around a little bit, but it was nice to catch up. Hope to see you again. The ability to like leave a conversation at a social function and the ability to admit, why don't you just tell me your name again? Oh, okay. It's Yardley. Perfect. How did I forget that? <laughs> Same right. personally, but, but like, I, yeah. I do. I And for, because I don't remember, I, I mean, you meet a lot of people and right. I meet a lot of people as well. And so I will also say, I'm so sorry. Please tell me your name again. And if you're offended by that, I can't help you. Right. But, but I think that person who's offended by that would be even more offended by you, like clearly not ever mentioning their names. I mean, yeah. Right. <laughs> And so, and I feel like, so when I introduce, when I meet somebody who I don't see all the time, I always reintroduce myself. So if they say, I know, like, of course, Yardley, I know, then so much the better. Right. And if they don't, then they're glad that I reintroduce myself. Yeah. And now also, we're all clear. And you're also putting out there, and this is, because I, I do the same thing, even walking up, I'm like, hi, Yardley, I'm Gabrus. We did Raise by TV right. together. You're like, yes, I know. We booked this interview. <laughs> and we, we've, <laughs> I listened to your podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But I'm still, because I want, listen, I want everyone to know that I'm okay with you forgetting my name. Right. So can you please be okay with me not remembering yours? I think That's it's like fair. the vibe I want to put out there of like, I don't expect anyone to remember my name. I mean, I guess I should change that. Like, you know, if my wife, like I'd be concerned for certain people if they didn't right. remember if my Tiffany's name. Tiffany's like, I'm sorry, what the what? <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, yeah. okay, you. this may seem weird because I'm in my underwear saying, climbing into bed with you. I'm your husband, John Gabris. We've met before a number of times. Uh, but it, it is that thing. And once you can do something like that, it's very freeing. It's very, and and all you're doing is being honest and to find the, the truth will set you free to say that on a podcast. But uh, it's, it feels good. And I think I want to use that because the topic you pitched to want to talk about on this podcast is so directly in my wheelhouse that it hurt. Um, <laughs> when we asked you what you want to talk about, you said, I, I want to talk about this mantra I have called screw it, let's do it. Yes. And I have been living by that unbeknownst to myself for a while and then purposefully chasing that vibe for the last decade and a half, two decades or something like that. All, and it's so fun that you said it because I was like, Yardley, you have no idea. I literally said to you off mic before we started that my college, I started saying, fuck it. When I would just be like, I I'm worried that I'm going to look dumb doing this or feel dumb or feel uncomfortable at this party. I don't know if that girl likes me. I don't know if these guys w consider me their friend. You just say, fuck it. And like, the wor what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Really? Yeah. And, and you then, no matter, even if it's awful and the girl says, you know what? I don't like you. Yeah. Or she doesn't even have the guts to tell you she doesn't like you. She just fucking walks away, right? <laughs> um, you, I really feel like you're you win because you are the you're the gladiator in the arena. You know, you put it out there. You did. Uh, you took the step, and that little step, each one of those, I really think builds your ability to take bigger and bigger steps that are more meaningful. You're a hundred 
Uh, you're 100 percent correct. You do yeah, it, yeah, right. That's why. That's why it matters. That's why it matters. To go back to the uh, hypothetical before, no woman actually ever walked away from me. Please, this. If I can maybe intellectualize this hypothetical situation, that would be nearly impossible in my life. I'm wildly <laughs> charming. No, but uh, if the girl, if the girl walks away because that I introduce myself to her, that I express my feelings towards, and she just walks away and doesn't say anything. That is the same outcome as me never saying anything, except me never saying anything. I'm sitting there thinking about it, concerning exactly. myself, wondering, you know. Which is worse. So much worse. So much worse. And truly the same outcome. Yes. But one outcome where you keep going, could, coulda, shoulda, woulda, instead of going like, all right, back to the drawing boards, you know, like, <laughs> let's figure this shit out. That's so well said. That is so well said. And that's that makes it. That makes it all worth it. That's sort of where like the fuck it or screw it, let's do it mentality came for me was that I started to realize that overanalyzing and stressing out and not doing something often had the same uh, the same negative outcome that I was afraid of. If I could use uh, our like our business as an example, uh, I used to if I auditioned for something or had a meeting on something that I thought was a possibility, I would downplay the idea of it ever happening so that when it didn't happen, I felt. Correct. Like, you know, I would be like, well, at least I wasn't like really thinking I got this. Right. But instead, recently in the last couple of years, I've started just saying to myself like, well, that would be cool if that did happen. And then I don't get it. And I don't feel worse because I imagined that it maybe was going to happen. As a matter of fact, I feel better because I wasn't living in the negative of like, and then the validation you get from being like, see, told you I wasn't going to get that. Who are you saying that right. to? Yourself. Is that, is that better? <laughs> yeah. it's See, not I better. told you she would walk away. Now I'm right. You don't get the validation of being right in that moment. You get the val you're hurt. Yeah. You get but if you know going into it, you're like, hey, let's see what happens. Like it's such a different vibe. And in the long run, in this business, you're gonna spend more time waiting to hear back than you are even gonna be doing anything. So if you're spending every moment that you're waiting to hear back downplaying the pot. What if it does happen? Then you're like, oh, well, I don't even care because I shit on this for the exactly, last 10 days. Exactly, because yeah. I convinced myself that it was unimportant. <laughs> right, But right. I'm actually going to use that because I, I actually do the same thing. If it's something that I really want, then I sort of start down this, I sort of start to circle around this abyss of, oh, I probably won't get it, which is kind of absurd because I really have had a, quite a bit of success in my career, right? <laughs> but... I really, there is that insecurity and that fear that, oh, it might not work out, of right. course, because so many things, all you've heard about is actually all the things that have worked out. You haven't actually heard about the things that haven't worked out. Oh, I, I use this analogy all the time. I listen to an interview with a screenwriter who is like, so how'd you sell this movie or whatever? And they're like, well, it was the 12th script I wrote. And I'm like, I'm sitting here with one script going like, yeah. I can't believe no one would make this. And this guy's like, me, like I'm like, oh, fuck, right, of course. It's, and it <laughs> took five years, Yeah, and, right? Yeah, so, right. It's so you get so, for a while you get blindsided by like, you see only everyone's success around you. And then there's a, uh, I think you shift into a phase in your career at some point where you see only your own failures your or your own, like what you believe to be your own shortcomings. And then comes a time where you kind of resolve to be like, Starting to learn that it's about eighty five percent no's in this business, and now yes. when I now when you get them, you just know it's part of it. Like it, it would be like uh a, like uh in baseball, and I don't know that much about sports, but in baseball, like batting three hundred is wonderful. Hitting three out of ten pitches is amazing. You don't see those baseball players striking out and being like, "Told you I suck at batting." Right. <laughs> like, I know why I'm gonna not gonna. I'm gonna go back to business school. Why am I in the uh, MLB? No, they, you just know it's a low hit rate. This is a low hit rate job. Like, and you have to. I think what you learn once you've been in this business for a long time, and part of part of what keeps you tied to the "screw it, let's do it" philosophy, and why you keep going, and why you don't just give up, is figuring out how to react to all of the 85% no's. How do you create balance in your life? I was so bad at it for so long. Same, same. You know, yeah. I am what I do. And when you then, I had a lot of success right out of the gate. And then it really started to drop off at about 14 years, right? I've been in for 38 years. is a long, long time. And so when you start out so hot, and in some ways I liken it to having a house with no foundation, Right. So this great big house, but it was sort of built on sand. 
And so when things started to slow down, I didn't know, I really didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. And so- You weren't even adjusted to- At uh, all. Yeah, yeah. I had no, and and at that time people were, now you have to be this multi-hyphenate, right? Actor, writer, director, or whatever your multi-hyphenate is. And I didn't want to do that. And so- Podcaster, podcaster, podcaster yes, is yes, mine yes. currently. <laughs> but I was so late to the game. Right. And so- so the problem was, the real problem was that, okay, if I am, if I, if my whole identity is my success and then my success starts to wane, who am I? Yeah, and preacher, that is a big fucking problem. Preacher choir. Yeah. The the thing you're saying there too is like learning to handle it because you attach yourself to your, I go into an audition like, oh, they don't think I'm right to play the waiter in this episode of Curb. Then they think I John Gabris am not good at the, and then right. once you have to learn that how the business works and how there's, and it's not just like a, you don't have the, because early on my wife, like I would tell my wife these parts I would go off for. And then when we would see him in a movie or a TV show, I'd be like, oh, that's the guy who got that. Or that's the, the person yes. who got that. My wife would be like, if it was someone we knew, she'd be like, you're so much funnier than him. I'd be like, that's what I said, but that shit doesn't matter. There's like a thousand reasons why anything happens or doesn't happen in this business. And you just have to learn that because it's not a loss to not get something. Right. Yeah. Brad Pitt's turned down for, you know, would be turned down for 80% of his stuff if he went out for it. He would? No, no. no, no, no. <laughs> that's a terrible example. But at some point in his career, and maybe not ever, to be honest, <laughs> some of us- Pick somebody else. Somebody yeah, yeah. else. But I take your point. I yeah. take your point. <laughs> Brad Pitt's like, what that asshole say? What the what? <laughs> hey, Gabrus, there's a very handsome guy knocking on the headgun studio doors here to kick your ass. Uh, <laughs> Maybe he'll do an episode before he kicks your oh, ass. Oh, that would though. be a dream. He would be a little embarrassed by Wouldn't how much fawning amazing? would happen. <laughs> uh. I'd be like, now you're 20 years older than me and you look like that. What do you think I'm going to look like right. in 20 years? What the hell, dude? <laughs> yeah, he broke my heart once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, when he took his shirt off, I was like, he looks like, younger than me. I <laughs> mean, fucking 20 really? Years than him. Really? <laughs> Brutal. Uh, and amazing. <laughs> I know. And amazing. I'm very uh, happy for his... Um, Awards spree at the moment. Yes, much much yeah. deserving. Yeah. Uh, he also like shout out to Brad Pitt for low key like yeah being an EP on a ton of like interesting projects that he's not barely a part of, but yep. like getting lesser uh, you know less uh, less well famous known. voices or less well known voices out there in front of people and shit like that, which is cool. Um, wait, let's jump to when did Screw It Let's Do It land for you, or when did you start to realize you were living by that? I think, well, it's actually really not my phrase. It's Richard Branson's. Oh, well, not a bad yeah. person to listen to. <laughs> and so I read uh, I read one of his books. I think it was the first book. And he, maybe it's maybe it's called Screw It, Let's Do It. Oh, I'm so bad. I have terrible memory. Oh, no Anywho, worries. No one's listening to this um, podcast for facts. Oh, good. Facts. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I say that to a guest on our podcast. You're like, it's okay. Nobody's going to call and say it was actually 5 a.m., not 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. And if you ignore right. your mentions, no one will tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, uh, you know, he certainly is a man who, who um, seems to have decided I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it differently and screw it, let's do it. And that's how, and I thought- Oh my God, I do the same thing. And I, and I, in some ways I sort of leap and then I look and I love that my, I love it too. And my business manager's not as much, <laughs> I think, because I really, if I get, if I hear that whisper, I just go all in and, um, but I don't know any other, I don't know why you would, I don't know why you do it another way. Like, what are you, what am I waiting for? Some sort of confirmation that I'll be right? You can't know that. Well, if you live in the pre-screw it, let's do it world, you could sit there and have nine things that you've always wanted to do that just never, you and never get you around never to do doing. One of yeah. Them. This is un uncomfortably relatable. Like, in the last <laughs> couple of years, I've just decided to start. I used to think I needed to earn some sort of level of success or level of hard work before I could reward myself with these like sort of, and not even, they're not even real rewards, but things I've always wanted to do that I put off. Cause it's like, let me just get to, and then 10 years goes oh, by in God. your career and you're like, well, if this is rat, I'm doing okay. But if this is it for the rest of my life, what am I going to never take scuba lessons because I'm waiting to have a sitcom or some shit? No, I got to do it now. And it's screw it, let's do it. Uh, rip the Band-Aid off. It's fuck it. It's fine. Who cares? We'll jump. We'll figure it out later. And what is that 
level of of um, success or that that measure of achievement in your own mind that allows you to say, you know what, I I did a good job. I I reached a goal. Maybe it's not. It doesn't mean I, I have this sort of this because it's so as you say uncomfortably relatable. There is this feeling that if I achieve something and then reward myself, it will some, I'll slide into complacency, even though there's nothing in my life that points to that. That's just not my nature. (laughs) Yes. Right. I'm just like, I I don't sleep a lot, which I'm just, which I would like to actually, I'm not (laughs) one of those people who enjoys sleeping four hours a night, but I, I really, I just feel like it's okay. There is, it's not going to, I'm not going to become some sort of lazy fucking slob Right, because you allowed yourself something yes. that you've always wanted to do or try or something to say, like that. Yeah. yeah, okay, Yardley, it's all right to have a reward. It's all right. You're, you'll, you'll, oh God. Yeah, because if you just if you zoom out and look at your life, you're like, well, what am I waiting for? Like, what what reward? What level of success? Like, I'm I'm healthy. I have this. I have that. I'm moving through the world in a meaningful <laughs> way. It's like, how else? How much better can it fucking get? And obviously, hopefully, much better, but. You're not going to like, oh, finally, I got that billion dollar movie franchise I've always wanted. Now I can go. Uh, now I can treat myself to this play- thing I wanted to do. It's like, no, that's that's insane. It yeah. doesn't work that way. And I do think I, I probably if I looked back, if I really took an inventory and, and thought about, oh, I'm sure I thought when I got a series, I would do X. And then I got the series and I went, oh, wait a minute. And of course, it's never enough, right? Right. Especially for people who are ambitious and who are have a drive to continue to succeed and expand and do something else and do something new and who are kind of bit fidgety and yeah. can't really sit still and creatively and things like that. And so for, what I'm saying is there'll probably never be a moment where it feels like, ah, now is the moment. Right, because you're like... Yeah. I will take those, you know, whatever that thing is. As, that uh, I as soon as Simpsons reach season yeah. 50, I'll be able to I'll do what I want to do. Yeah, I right. mean, I'll be... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, let's not I'm even do dead. the math. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> let's see. No, no, probably not dead. No, but, you know, getting on. Really getting on. Lisa Simpson at 70, whatever. Oh, God. Amazing. <laughs> That's the power of voice acting is that you it can is. play a, uh, a I can junior play, high I can girl forever. I still play an eight-year-old and, <laughs> yeah. and be 55. I mean, the fact is I still sound like I'm about 10. So. Yeah, yeah. The voice is not aged. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's so – the whole waiting for a certain level of success thing too, you've just like picked this arbitrary thing in your head. And then you have friends that or, – or peers that get that successful and they're in the same – they feel the same way as you. And you're like, oh, that's – we're always going to want more, but I found that the big thing that's happened since I started and reward is not even the right word, but, uh, we, we sort of set it up, but like these things that you've always wanted to do that you were like, no, I should be focusing on work. But now that I've taken whatever, you know, uh, uh, and by the way, when I wasn't doing, when I forbid myself from doing this thing that I always wanted to do so that I could focus on my work, I wasn't like, getting a lot of work done. I was fucking full of anxiety and refreshing email and, and wondering if I should leave UTA or if I should fire them and switch or I should do that. Like, you know, just a classic (laughs) actor talent conversation where you're just like, what am I doing? And I'm like, okay. And then I took my time and I gave what, not even an insane amount of time, but started doing these things I always want to do scuba diving, martial arts. And when I started doing them, it is an hour a day, four hours a day where you're not thinking about like your other part of your life. And like, my identity and my feeling of happiness isn't so attached to my career anymore. And I think it was because I finally allowed other things to be part of it. And I was like, it truly was like, I'm going to be 50 before I ever run a marathon, a half marathon, because I said, I'll do it once I'm like settled in and successful. So then I was like at 36, ran my first one. I was like, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get to this hypothetical level that I've created in my head. And it makes you a better person, that balance. And yes, and And it makes me feel fuller and it makes me feel way more inspired to dive back. And also it makes defeats in the business or like for example, right now I've been really focusing on uh, fitness and I've been going to the gym a lot and I've been taking martial arts classes. And in the last month and a half, because it's January and December, almost nothing has happened for me in entertainment business-wise. And that normally would be almost like anxiety. That would be anxiety-inducing and arguably very stressful end-of-the-world feeling for myself. 
Now, because I'm just like, well, now I have, to, I have extra time. I'm going to the gym. I'm getting this done. Oh, I, I learned a new move at Jeet Kune Do. You know what I mean? And I'm like, the, I'm progressing. Now right. that I have different ideas of what progress is in my life, I'm constantly progressing. Because you can easily feel in a creative, even any freelance job, and arguably, and I haven't had a lot of real jobs, but in a lot of like real careers too, where you'd... Like if you're attaching everything to that, whenever there's a slowdown in that, you're going to be like, what the fuck? But if you're at, if your kids are at home doing something amazing or you put a new pool in or you, you built uh, a chin up bar in your basement or you're refixed, a, you uh, refurbished a car, whatever your thing is that you do outside of work, when you're stalled in your creativity or your career, but you're progressing in other parts of life, it reminds you that there's a lot more to Absolutely. life. Yeah. I, I just went on like a five minutes soliloquy. But there, it's so but well out. said. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, I, I, and thank God you learned it at 36. Are yeah, you? 37. Yeah. I mean, because it took me so much longer and it really, it caused me so much unhappiness because, and so much anxiety. And somebody asked me, um, I was actually on, um, do quit your day job, um, a little while ago and I love Kathy Heller and she's so inspiring and, and brilliant and articulate. And she said, what's the one piece of advice you would give to actors? And I was absolutely flummoxed. I was, I was stymied and I said something like, well, you know, you, whatever choice you make, you should commit to your choice, like in an audition, which I do think is true. But after the fact, what I really wanted to say. So I'm going to say it right here to you, John. Yes. Because because this is where the real nuggets of wisdom drop. <laughs> inspired this um, answer, reminded me of it, is that instead of building your day around your audition, fit your audition into your day. Holy right? shit. For the listeners, I just literally did prayer hands emoji <laughs> because that hit so hard. That is so true. It will save your life. And I, I would say- Like literally schedule lunch with a friend or coffee or go for a walk or do something you enjoy if it's the gym. Yeah. But schedule it after your audition so that you can like leave your audition and then go do your life. And live a life. Exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, holy, like truly, truly I feel that so much because there was periods of time when I would go even one step further- where you're just waiting for an audition to come in yes, as your too. day. Like you're like, well, today's Tuesday. It's like, well, hopefully I hear about something. But instead you could run your errands, go to the gym, do your hobbies, see your friends. And then if something comes in, great. And if not, end of the day, you're tired because you did stuff and you're not, you don't feel like lazy and like. And you saw people and you did stuff that you were interested and you, in yes, and, and yes. or you had to get done. And, you know, I, I, for people who m may not, be who aren't in the business who may not know that there is a remarkable amount of zero feedback in our business <laughs> right, right. and an and for the amount of energy and vulnerability um, even if you're doing comedy but when you show up to an audition you're asked to give it everything you have you're asked to make choices often without a lot of information very little intel. Nowadays, you don't even meet producers. They just put you on tape. Yeah. And so everything the, sort of happens in this vacuum, right? And it's you, it's arguably in, intentionally uncomfortable yes. in there. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's a, it, it, I always, I've said for years, it's kind of a broken process. I don't know how they cast anybody in this way. But Auditioning is nothing like shooting. That's nothing, like That's nothing. what no one tells you. At <laughs> that, all. Yeah. It's is really that, survival of the fittest. Right. In it, so many ways. You have to have the indestructible ego that allows you to go in there and be the person that you are. Right. Like, and just like. And leave it all on the floor. Yeah. And then you'll yeah. walk out and guess what? Nobody will call you. Right. And no one will call you and you'll never hear why. I mean, I was recurring on a, uh, a TV series for a couple of seasons and then I just never got called back in. Never heard why. And then a couple of years later, I ran into one of the producers and they were like, did anyone ever tell you why your character stopped coming in? I'm like, no. He goes, that's brutal. Well, the main character needed to seem more mature so he couldn't have roommates anymore. I'm like. That's absolutely creatively justified. And if you just tell me that, I'm not sitting oh at home God. thinking I fucking blew it. Because at part of narcissism is, if anything that goes, and I, I believe you need to be slightly narcissistic to like survive in this business. You have to believe that 
I'm right to be part of your huge project. But part of that is blaming yourself when shit goes wrong, too. Ooh, sure. And I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't invited back to season four of Younger. It must be because I'm a I'm bad. And then it's like, when someone just tells you, you're like, if you would have told me that, you would have saved me like miles of grief. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much grief. Yeah. And really, it's such a simple phone call. Yeah, it's real. And, and, and I even feel bad because I, like, make my reps. I'm like, tell me why I didn't get it. Just tell me. I care about this one. And they were like, they just went with someone else. I'm like, just tell me. Yeah, that's all I need to hear. Like, yes. And it's obvious they went with someone else. I didn't get it. So someone else did. Right. <laughs> like, I get that's the business. Just tell me. To, to take it off entertainment for the listeners, whatever your job might be, if you attach your happiness to progress or validation at work, you're going to also attach your sadness to when work doesn't go your way, which is inevitable in any field. So like having this outside of work uh, thing, and for some of us, maybe it is podcast. And I know a lot of people, who, maybe some people listen to this podcast is their work. Then I say, go one further out and get, get yourself something that isn't your work that you do to make that makes you feel good, whether it's physical, mental, a hobby, whether it's like I've read uh, uh, every John Grisham novel. Like whatever your thing is, exactly. just don't. Uh, my my mother in law and stepfather stepfather in law. My mother in law and father in law. We'll just call him that. Uh, has a shit ton of this mantra all over their house, and it's kind of corny throw pillow logic. But it is <laughs> don't postpone joy, and it is there is something like that's a strong strong and obvious when you think about it. But it, it and it is a little corny, but it is that. It's like why we am do I doing a lot. Yeah, why am I delaying my own happiness because of some stupid, but like for some arbitrary system I've established myself or I believe that the world is established upon me? Because um, I think there's a feeling deep down inside of us for a lot of people, and, and, and maybe it's unique to our country and certainly to our culture, but as though we don't deserve it. Yes. I mean, do you feel like you deserve to be happy? I think if you really ask people that, you would get a lot more stammering than you would get flat out, full throated yeses. Yeah. Well, I think, take that one. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable saying what they would like in life in general. Cause it is, there's an element to if you voice it and it doesn't happen, you're crushed. Yes. Yeah. If you're like, I do deserve to be happy and then you don't feel happy, you feel and like And then wrong. you feel like it's your fault. Right. But then if you go like, I don't deserve to be happy. And then you don't feel happy. You're like, see, I was right. At least you get like the smug feeling of being correct, which doesn't make anyone feel any better. How is that good? (laughs) I mean, that sucks. (laughs) This ain't it, chief. That is not good. (laughs) That ain't it, chief. (laughs) Well, it's 2020 and life is hard. We're experiencing stress, anxiety, pain. Maybe we're having trouble sleeping. I don't know about you, but I have anxiety. I have, uh, I, I don't have that much pain. I, of course, experience stress. I have muscle soreness and stuff, but I do have trouble sleeping. So here is the thing. We're not alone. We all have this. So I have personally found that CBD has been a very helpful thing in helping me get sleep, helping me feel better throughout the day. And Feels, F-E-A-L-S, is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. It worked on me. I I, I was having trouble sleeping. And I started, you know, uh, hitting myself with a big dose of CBD right before bed, a little bit before bed, before I brushed my teeth. And then I really started to feel way more soundly. If you're uh, new to CBD, Feels even offers a CBD hotline. You can text message support so you're learning how it works. And here's the thing. There's no high hangover or addiction from CBD. And Feels is very high quality CBD. It's a membership program. So you join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. If you become a member, you'll get 50% off your first order. That's right. If you become a member, you get 50% off your first order. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash mighty and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mighty to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash mighty. Steak night, baby. Is there like a special occasion? You're like, let's go out for steaks. Big group family uh, man dinner, family dinner, celebration dinner. Let's go out for steaks. Uh, as for me, the thing I miss most about ste- uh, eating steak, I mean, 
I just don't have a barbecue because I, I don't have a grill because I live in an apartment, but I miss it. So I, I'm cooking steak all the time, but I'm in my, I'm broiling it or I'm pan searing it sometimes. And I love a steak with mashed sweet potatoes or spinach, or I like asparagus on the side. I like a green that I can maybe take a steak, a bite of steak with some sauteed spinach just to feel like it's salad adjacent. So I feel great. But if tenderness is the mark of an excellent steak, filet mignon uh, guys, yeah, it has less marbling than a ribeye, but the texture is unbeatable. Butcher Box gives you two fillets and a pack of bacon free in your first box. So you can make homemade bacon wrapped fillets. Guys, I have the fillets in my fridge and I have the bacon. My wife doesn't eat beef or pork, but she's going out of town this weekend and I'm making bacon wrapped filet mignon for myself and I cannot be more pumped. And I'm using all Butcher Box products because their meat's free of antibiotics, no added hormones. Each box has a lot of meat. It's packed fresh, shipped frozen, and vacuum sealed, so it just goes from the box to your freezer, and then from your freezer to however you want to defrost it when you're ready to rock. It's a no-brainer. It's great meat shipped right to your door. You know, one less thing to pick up at the store, one less thing to have to run out for. Grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and nitrate and sugar-free bacon. It's the way meat should be. So you can get two filet mignons, a pack of bacon, plus $20 off your first box when you sign up now at butcherbox.com slash mighty or use promo code mighty at checkout. It's two free filet mignons, a pack of bacon, plus $20 off your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash mighty or use promo code mighty at checkout. Butcher Box, baby. Let's take a quick aside from uh, Screw It, Let's Do It. And I just want to ask because it's sort of legendary. And we briefly talked about this when you were on Raised by TV. I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of Simpsons stuff because, uh, I mean, it's too deep. <laughs> it's scary. Um, huge part. I, I'm just glad to hear. Uh, if I can't even think of the saying, hearing the word Lisa without saying needs braces right after. I just will say like that there are Simpsons quotes that are burned into my head that if someone says half of it, I can't even control myself from screaming something else. I love like, you. yeah, purple is a fruit. Like there's just phrases that are burned in my head. Like, uh, <laughs> you can't make friends with salad. Yeah, uh, you don't make friends with salad. Nacho, nacho, man. Yeah. Uh, um, Purple monkey dishwasher, you know, like all these phrases that just burned in my head. But take that all aside for now. I want to talk about you worked, you were in the movie Maximum Overdrive, which is sort of famous amongst Stephen King heads, horror movie heads and stuff, because he's openly been like, I was coked out of my skull. What what was I doing directing a movie? Oh, my God. (laughs) And I just happened to have someone who is firsthand there. (laughs) Um, Was it? Was it a wild experience? And and where did that land in your career? What were you was that like an was that new for you to be in those kind of features? Yes, it was my third movie. It oh, was wow. nineteen it came out in uh I think it came out in eighty five and we did it in eighty four, so I was twenty years old, or we did it in eighty five and it came out in eighty six. But in any case, I was twenty or twenty one. Um I was I remember thinking, oh my God, it's a Stephen King movie and he's directing and it's gonna make me a huge star. And we and and the shoot was quite chaotic. I I mean I was I mean it was so such the straight arrow I really had no idea. He was fucking coked out of his mind. <laughs> but I did know we had a lot of night shoots that every day at five o'clock the beer would come out. No five? matter yeah, at five PM, right? And <laughs> If it was a night shoot, this is a problem. Yes. <laughs> and then we would shoot till 5 a.m. and he would just start drinking, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> so that was kind of a clusterfuck. That- Plus, we had an all-Italian crew because it was a Dino De Laurentiis production. Yeah, <laughs> so we hard in- to kind of explain to the gaffer. Uh- they couldn't. They, <laughs> they literally spoke no English, so we had a translator who would talk to Stephen and then Stephen would say, I, I want this. And then he would talk to the Italian crew and they would say, blah, 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 blah. and then he would go to like translate back to, we fucking must have added another week and a half just in schedule and <laughs> translation alone to our schedule. So I, I shot a movie in Italy. I had a small part in a movie in Italy. And I just want to talk about Italian crew. They are like, if you had to, if the, the Simpsons would draw the perfect, like any parody of Italian movie crew is what you think it is. It's really handsome and beautiful women. 
in uh, all black jeans, shoes, jackets, all fit perfectly, and they're smoking cigarettes while setting up lighting. It's like exactly <laughs> the most Euro shit you think it is. Every one of them, 40 PAs, all smoking cigarettes, all in black, all with their hair slicked back, rolling their own cigs, then coming in, lighting it up. No one is over 180 pounds. You know? True. <laughs> Uh, but so if this is early on in your movie career, are you even realizing that this movie is uh, like the wheels are off or anything like that? Or are you like, oh, this is kind of, you know, like, well, no, or I mean, are any of the older actors going like, this isn't what it's like, like any of the more veteran people going like, no, this is, this is not how it's supposed to be. I think or, they, we had Pat Hingle who was a, a really, he'd worked, you know, he'd been in 200 movies, a character actor. You'd recognize him if you saw him. And um, Emilio Estevez, of course, starred in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, I'm sure, knew the wheels were coming off. But I was so, I mean, I was in that movie a lot, but I didn't have a ton to say. And I was new. So I was a no, not a known quantity. So they they did not share whatever their misgivings were with me. Right. Um, so that's true. So, but I, so I remember thinking, I do, though, I, I can't believe... I didn't tell you this story before, but I I do I was asked to do m my own stunts to one to a certain extent. So when the car turns over, then they put me back in the car, obviously. So I was upside down in the car. Yeah, you know, so I had to cut the seatbelt off. But the real one was when the Cadillac drives through the truck stop through uh -huh. that big picture window, and I'm standing there watching it going. You saw me like, oh my god! I think that thing's gonna drive through the through the window, right? <laughs> yeah. If you think Yardley has a distinct voice, wait till you. If you haven't seen Maximum Overdrive, oh yeah, it's there. It's it is, wildly it's present so, with a yes. with a sh with a terrible Southern accent. Laid about, right Where on is top. that girl from? <laughs> what part of the South? Is what? there a lollipop like, guild in Alabama? Yeah, seriously, were you like an army brat? Your character is that your backstory? Because that's not from anywhere. Let me just tell you. I just want to take a second to hear, imagine a world where you're like, oh, I'm so, my Southern accent, I feel so bad. I may have ruined maximum overdrive. Yeah. You know, like, you're in your head going, I wish I could nail this Southern accent. Meanwhile, the director is coked out of his skull, drinking all day. The whole movie, the movie's wild about yes. machines that take over. And we broke our own rules in that movie. You know, the whole thing was the meteor passes through the atmosphere, oh, right. so all the machines go haywire except for a few. <laughs> so that was a problem. And I really do think that had a lot to do with why it didn't succeed. Is that not because, every machine was a problem? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that's the audience knows. And also it was a 12-page short story, right. which they stretched into a 90-minute movie. <laughs> Nevertheless, oh, so the story, so, oh, my God, oh. That, you know, that Cadillac's going to drive through the window. And so they're like, okay, Yardley, here's what's going to happen. You're going to stand right here, and you're not going to move until we tell you because we only have one shot at this because they had built the truck stop. Holy shit. And now that we're adults, we know the second you got to yeah. People will make you feel confident on set that they know what they're doing, but then you see mistakes all the time. Minor stuff too, not necessarily major dangerous stuff, but there is that element of where you're like, well, they wouldn't allow me to be that close to danger. And then you're like, wait a minute. Wait <laughs> Why a minute. Why am I trusting these strangers? Oh my God. And they said, it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to look much faster on screen, but it's going to really, it's going to be super slow. So don't worry, but you really can't move until we say, because like we said, we only have one shot. And um, I was like, okay, you know, so they put me there and then they're like, okay, roll it. Oh my fucking God, that car came so fast. I'm not even kidding. And I just like, bam, through the wall. I was like, ah, I mean, that scream was so real. And I am thinking, but of course I don't move. Right. And I literally, that fucking car, I mean, I swear to God, it must've come within six inches of me. <laughs> And by the time they, you know, pulled me out of the way or pushed me out of the way or whatever, I think, or, you know, move, whatever the command was, um, I had glass in my hair, you know, and I, maybe it was sugar glass, but I, dude, Still, it sugar was. Sugar glass can go in your eye. Was, yeah. I was like, okay, okay, hey, uh, that is not what you said was going to happen. Well, and a bit, not, <laughs> that's. Uh, that goes back to what we're talking about. A lot of our business makes you feel like you should, like you're not deserving of that, or you should be grateful that you're even there. So yes. you're like, well, I, I bet you I could, I could point. I, we can go to any cafe in the Hollywood area and say, 
who here would like to get hit by a car on camera for SAG minimum? <laughs> and I bet you 50% of the people would raise their 100%. hand. I might even do it. You right, know, right? is it like uh, SAG ultra low? No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but people like, you're afraid to say like, well, if I say this is dangerous or scary, they'll, I'll never work in the business again. Well, like, cause that's absolutely. the fear that's out there. Yeah. And as we've heard now with, uh, now that everyone's a little more vocal and we're all hearing stories, that shit was happening Yes. for even grosser reasons. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I was so low on the totem pole. And of course, and I was, you know, but like you said, you trust them. And yeah. so. And you're like 20, you're a tiny yes. person. And then you're like, a car almost hits you. And you're like, well, thank you. The <sighs> good day. You guys enjoy. Like, what the fuck? Like, how do you go about the rest of your day like they, that? They're like, wow, that's great. Yardley was a great shot. And I, you know, I'm shaking. I hate those moments on set when you start to feel like you're, you might as well be a C stand where they're like, they're like, <laughs> uh, Yardley, do us a favor. Stand on this like little precarious thing here in the shadow. And then they start moving lights. And you're like, well, can I get down? They're like, honestly, it's going to be five more seconds. And it's like, I've, I have friends that have passed out in harnesses and stuff because they like put you up there. And then they're like, oh, the sound's not ready. Okay, well, hold on. Let's re, you know, let's uh, reslate. And the guy's just like dangling from a fucking harness up there. <laughs> it's, it's so great. And it's so, it's so part of the business. It's, but it, you're afraid to ever like speak up. You're like, Tall poppy syndrome. They're going right. to slice me up if I you say anything. You don't want to be the pain in the ass. Right, you know? yeah. Um, so uh, apart from that, I I also crawled through, you know, we grow through that drainage ditch. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> crawl through that shit, which was just, <laughs> you know, I'm, as you can see, I mean, your listeners can't see, but I, I, I'm really girly. I wear a skirt pretty much or a dress every day, like. I have, I like to look pretty. I'm not. You have a pink cardigan on. I do. I'm wearing a pink cardigan, <laughs> a pink flowered skirt. Um, I'm not really, although I get it. I get why I had to crawl through the drainage ditch, but but I, you know. Well, a lot of people I've don't know this. I've never been so dirty in, in a all maybe, my life. Yeah, in a maybe in a, like a, a modern, uh, big budgeted movie, a sequence which, in which the characters go through a drainage, drainage ditch might be Water, some food coloring, some debris. Uh, on a, a soundstage. Uh, yeah, on a soundstage built and as people crawl through it. If you're shooting a movie in 80, 83, 84 with a coked up director, you're there. The location guy. Yeah, the location guy found a drainage ditch and y'all are getting in it. 100%. <laughs> like, well, is there actual shit in this? Like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you can't just get in there. <laughs> it was like, okay. All right, then. But, you know, I was game. And so, and in terms of, I don't remember getting a lot of direction from Stephen King. He wasn't, he was much more sort of head to head with Emilio. Um, and, but what I do remember is, so the movie wraps and um, I remember a lot of things going wrong mechanically with the trucks because of course they all had to look like nobody was driving them and, and they were all trucks that had, I think they must've bought them because they had to crash them right, for the most right. part. So and they're buying able, cheap trucks yes, that are like, <laughs> they're on the right, on their way out anyway. Right, <laughs> so right. to have to rig that shit, yeah, it's so complicated. I mean, hats off to that crew. And it was also about a billion degrees because <laughs> it was, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina where their studios down there. And, um, and it was summer. So, oh. ugh, which was, it was it was pretty hot. That and means I there, grew there's up some in DC, and it was it's hot there. But dude, uh, <laughs> fuck me. That means hot. there's some there's some dude like in a hundred and ten degree day, tucked underneath the cab of a truck, operating I mean, I the pedals so, yes. with his hands and shit. Yeah. Yes. Because nowadays you just paint the driver out in post was what they would do. But then someone's underneath there, or they're putting a fucking brick on the pedal and just seeing how it goes. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> horrifying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And um and Stephen was I mean, I think he would always say that he didn't know what he was doing in yeah. terms of being a director. He's pretty vocal about it now yeah. too, for sure. Yeah. But I, at the time he was even sort of like I, he was he was just very, not an opportunity you turned down either. No. If, you're, if you're an author and someone's like, "Hey, you want to direct your own movie? <laughs> yeah, Why wouldn't you?" Right. Exactly. He was incredibly humble at the time and really lovely, like really a nice nice man. But um, I, you know, I didn't know him well. He wasn't, I, I mean, he, he wasn't overly personable with me. Right. But he was lovely. And you didn't have like, I mean, it was, Stephen King had like 50 books at the time. He now has like thousands yes. or whatever. But maybe not 
like now it'd be like, you know, everything he's ever worked on, you know, and you're like, holy shit. It's the, at the time you're just like Absolutely. this weird guy with these weird glasses. <laughs> he was, yes. And he was, he was obviously, I mean, he had Christine and Carrie and Pet Cemetery, I think at that time. And, um, he's like in probably, terms of being made into films already. Yeah. He's probably right? the most adapted author of all time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe Shakespeare has more. <laughs> yeah. No, probably not. Well, but not film. <laughs> no, not no, film. No. Because yeah. he wants to listen to that, really. <laughs> Um, but I will say just, and and then we can, um, be done with it. But I remember, so the film wrapped and they were getting ready to, um, screen it. Right. And, and they had actually screened it for a few test audiences and my character had tested really well. And so I was super excited because I think this is going exactly according to plan, right? (laughs) And so they started to say, okay, Yardley, we think we might want you to go on the Tonight Show and do the sort of talk show circuit. I was like, what? This is amazing. And, um, And I do remember the publicist saying, now listen, if you go on the Tonight Show and Johnny Carson was still hosting at that time, just remember that um, it's his show. And I was wow. like, okay, all right, I get that. Listen, I'm not here to steal anybody's thunder. <laughs> I'm just happy to promote the film. And then they tested it with critics or something, or they tested it again. There was some other significant testing weekend, and all of a sudden, all bets were off. And then, like, they pulled all of their plans and I'm not kidding when I tell you the fucking movie was out for about one weekend and barely out long enough to run the end credits. And there was no more talk of Yardley being on the like the big, you know, nighttime talk show. The most Hollywood shit is being I someone mean, with that much of a cart before the horse where they're like, right? hey, when you're on Carson, you back the fuck up, okay? Yeah. And you let Carson shine. You're like, it's not even in the books yet. We don't even know. And like a week later, it's all falling apart. Yes. And in your head, you're like, well, I got to make sure when I'm on Carson, I don't blow it. Right? <laughs> We're not even backstage. Good God. You're um, right. If so. any listeners aren't familiar with Maximum Overdrive, I highly recommend checking it out. And if you're not, if you don't have the need to watch or the desire to watch this full movie, you should watch the trailer because it, I remember it from being a kid because it was the first time the trailer has Steven in it. And it, the, there was like that one version of the trailer where he's like sitting on the hood of the car and he's like, they let the master of horror direct his own movie or whatever. And it's like, and it, like I'd never seen that at the time where it was like, it was a personality based director. We of course have that a little bit more now in life with Quentin Tarantino and Scorsese and stuff. But like for them to be like, you're going to want to go see this movie. Cause I, Stephen King is directing it. And man, to be that off base about it is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> we got to yes. get Steven out there front and center. Cause people are going to be loving this film. <laughs> It's so true, and they and ACDC does the theme song. Yes, yes, right? I, I forgot about that completely. Yep. It sounds like a you, you have Emilio Estevez in the '80s in your movie. It sounds like like you, it's going to be a hit. Yeah, yeah, and you can just never tell. No, you cannot tell. A- along the same lines as that is like, oh, this should be a hit, and it's not. The other part of my career that I I found myself slipping up on, and now that I have a, a veteran here, I just want to uh, bring it up to you to hear how you deal. Every step of the way, when you do that thing that is like the next step in your career, you're like, whoa, I just uh, was in an indie movie. Whoa, I was just in a studio movie. I had a small part in a studio movie. Every time you get one of those steps, you assume that's your new normal. Yes. And then the business will be like 18 months later, be like, I guess I'm not an indie movie guy as much as I thought I was. But it... It's so protracted and so slow, but it's so easy. Like the second you're in Maximum Overdrive, they're talking about going on Johnny Carson and you're like, well, shit, I hope I could do two movies this year and then have the summer off to do that. You know, and like next thing you know, none of it, the movie's gone in and out in 48 hours. You're like, I can't believe I was that, like I thought I was there. Yeah. Well, and the same thing happened with Herman's Head. So I did a series called Herman's Head on Fox, right? Back in the early 90s. And I remember, so it was on on Thursday nights when the Which, Simpsons was, it was still on. It was the one on. where, I, and I, I barely remember the show, but it was the one where facets of the main character's personality were portrayed by, by, by people. By four people. By four people. So it was like Genius, who was his brains, right? His right. smarts, his smarty farty. Um, Angel, who were his emotions. Wimp, who, watch, who was his fear. And Animal, who was his lust. Oh, yes. And so four actors. And then I was Louise, who played his co-worker who worked in the office with him. He right. worked at a 
a publishing firm, and we were fact checkers, sort of research assistants. And um, and Hank Azaria was in that series as well. Both we of you were, guys were on. Yeah, one, both on the Simpsons. One hour in the evening on Fox, you guys were. Yes, present. We were on the same two shows <laughs> on the same network on the same night, an hour apart. That's, it was amazing. So awesome. again, I thought, oh my fucking God, does it get any better than this, right? I and you're doing VL more. and live action, so yes. you're like got the two-pronged assault Holy going. Holy crap. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, this is extraordinary. And then Herman's Head was canceled after three seasons, and I thought, well, my character, again, Louise, was a breakout character. People really loved her. She was, they did, they gave me, you know, lots of stuff to do. I was incredibly grateful. And, and you have some, um, you have a lot of steam as Lisa, but you're, Every, of course, every VO actor who wants to be on screen, like there is that divide where people look at you as a voiceover person and not an actor or yes, whatever. So for you to be live action too, you're like, I got to keep that element going. And yeah. it was my first entry into um, show business was being live action, you know, right. on stage, um, in in television, doing these films. And so, and I never wanted to do voiceover. I just had zero interest and I think it was despite having of, like, well, now it's famous, but with before it was yeah. your voice was famous. It is. It's specific. I mean, and I think that's why, because I got so teased for it. I thought there's no way this could possibly right. be an asset. That makes right? sense. Oh, man. So I thought, well, fuck that. I don't like I didn't even have a voiceover agent. I got that job because I did a tiny play in Los Angeles. And the woman who cast The Simpsons came to see it. And literally like 17 people saw that play. Oh. And a year later, she cast The Simpsons uh, that on The is, Tracy Allman Show. That's an amazing, amazing story. But also one of those stories that strikes fear in the heart of, of actors course. who turns down the play. Because it's like, I'm not going to waste my fucking time. I'm not going to be <laughs> in one of those black box theaters <laughs> yeah. that's equity waiver. Well, Fuck who, you. Who would have known it would lead to 30 years of network television work? Unbelievable. <laughs> <I know>. Right? <laughs> And so, oh, it's so awesome. I remember when they canceled Herman's Head, my character had been so popular, and Fox was a new network, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And The Simpsons was, we got canceled in 93, and The Simpsons had only been half hour for three seasons, right? And so I thought, well, I mean, I, this is it. I'm like on the, I'm at the crest of the wave. Things are going great. I kid you not, I could not get another job. I thought, oh, I'm so ripe for to get another series. I mean, he's like, come and get me. Because you see everyone else in the business yes. get like three seasons of something and then they never, they work again forever. They're yes. in everything. They're like, oh, they got some weird past where now they're in everything. Like, yeah. hadn't I proved myself that I could show up every week and, <clears throat> excuse me, really deliver and yeah. always on time, always knew my shit, always landed the joke, always did, like, nope. And you're not asking for the Yardley Smith show. You're no. asking just to be, I'll be fact checker, co-worker. Yeah. Happy to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then it's just not there. Oh. <laughs> and so the next regular, semi-regular, I would do I did um I played the Krabby Secretary on Dharma and Greg, where I played Greg's secretary. Yes. But it was only about two episodes a season. But I, sh I, so. I I I just want to jump aside just to throw uh connect our two stories. Uh the person who would eventually tell me why I was uh uh, not on Younger anymore, was a creator of Dharma and Greg. Uh, That's so, so funny. They were like Dharma and Greg uh, writer, producers, and husband and wife team, and he came to me and told me. No kidding. Yeah, and he, I was like, so that's a weird small, I forgot that you would, uh, had done that on yes, Dharma and Greg. it's such a small world in our time. Yeah, I know, it's amazing. <laughs> so, to, but that's a long way of saying yes, you always think that, Hey, I, you know, hey, now I'm the series regular girl because I'd really done really well on television. Yeah. From the time I had arrived in Los Angeles, I was very fortunate. I got a lot of TV work. I got, you know, guest stars and this and that and stuff. And so I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, now I really, I, I proved it. I'm good. I, I can, I, mm. It was like yeah, record scratching. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the, to yeah. make that meme joke, the narrator, <laughs> you haven't actually proved yourself, yeah. says the VO. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Listeners, uh, she didn't prove herself. She did not. <laughs> yeah. She was wrong. Uh, well, Yardley, thank you so much for coming on High and Mighty. Oh, wait, can I plug my podcast? That's what I'm about oh. to say next. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason why we do oh. each other's podcasts is for this. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Small Town Dicks. Okay, so I have a, um, a co-host to True Crime Podcast called Small Town Dicks. And um, all of our cases are told by the detectives who investigated them. So it's really, it's very, uh, we're very reverent. We're not, um, it really is, and, 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 okay, let me, let me back up. 
it's really about the big time crime that's happening in small towns everywhere. Yeah. And so it's happening with the same level of depravity and reckless disregard for human life as it is in big cities, but just with less frequency often. Right. But what I like, so for where I sit, so I co-host with um, identical twin detectives, Dan and Dave. <laughs> Who are already like there you go. That's an amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> and they don't not every case is theirs, but they bring the law enforcement expertise to the conversation with our guests. Yeah. And then I sit on the other side of the table and I sort of am I'm you, right? I'm everybody who wishes they could have a seat at that table. And what I also want to know is who are you? Why do you do what you do and how do you do it? And particularly People in law enforcement, they all say it's a calling, not just a job. Yeah. And if you're the person who's going to run toward what the rest of us run from, how do you do that? Yeah, what's different about you? Yes. Or what, what made you that person? Oh, that's so interesting. So it's like true crime is having its moment, but uh, rarely is it from the POV of the people who in are In the podcast involved. world. Yeah. You get a lot more of that on TV. Right. You get a lot you know? more sitting, talking heads of like, well, we were investigating this case. But yeah, a lot of podcasts are like- Hey, we're two people who Googled this crime and we want to talk about it. Exactly. And power to those podcasts. But this is a very fun, interesting way. It's really. And we also you hear what we hear from our fans are we love hearing cases that we haven't heard before. Because, of course, they're happening. They're not the cases that. They're not as famous. No. Yeah, yeah. They're per- um, that's purposefully the, your, what you're choosing. It's yes. not as popular. We, yes, we're yeah. asking our detectives when they say, okay, what do you want to hear? We always say, bring us the case that you're most proud of. Ah, That's the cool. Criteria. Whether it's like, who cares if it has no national notoriety? At I want to hear what you're proud. That's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you have a love for true crime before this? Did you have uh, always been lo- longtime friends with identical twin detectives? Because <laughs> that um, seems serendipitous. <laughs> I know. I know. I uh, well, Dan and Dave and I uh, became friends, and then I just started to hear their stories about how they would download their day, and their Tuesday was just so much more extraordinary and harrowing and like, what the, what? Than yeah. my any day ever. <laughs> right, you're like. That I was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, I did an hour on the microphone and then I went and had lunch with a friend. Like, yeah. what about you guys? Like, oh, we chased perps. We had guns drawn on us, drew guns on people. Yeah, it's what? Seriously, <laughs> I, you know, had to give CPR to a baby. It didn't work. <laughs> I had to tell a, a bunch of kids that their dad shot their mom. I am oh, like, geez. oh my, <laughs> yeah. what? And then also- Want to talk about your putting your career in perspective? When <laughs> you're like, well, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here and bitch about uh, only being recurring on Dharma and Greg to the guy who is getting guns, getting shot at at his job. Very humbling, and uh, it's very nice every once in a while when you meet someone who just reminds you that your job is certain. Like, yeah, I can't. Good. Yeah, yeah, like, I can't believe I was stressed about my career. You are have you a gun is required for your job? Yes, that's. Horrifying. And got- <laughs> every time you leave the house, somebody might try to kill you. Because in a small town, one of the artifacts of being a small town detective is that you don't actually fade back into the fabric of your city. Often. Right. You put someone away for eight years. They come out. You're they still know, there in they Topeka. Know, you yeah, might have gone yeah. to high school with them or grade school. Oh, or And right. every corner yes. you pass, you're like, oh, yeah, I arrested a guy on that corner. Or something happened on that corner. I oh, mean, that element. So- you know a lot of the business owners. You know a lot of, oh, yeah. I've always lived in like big cities so that that is lost for me but I didn't even think of that that's a whole other element it's so claustrophobic and everybody knows everybody and so there's a real um, for me I feel like that ups the in some ways it ups the danger factor just because you're it just seems like you're more findable. Well, yeah, they know where you live. They know where your kid goes to school. They know because every kid goes to the same school. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just yeah. terrifying. Absolutely crazy. terrifying. Um, well, that's called Small Town Dicks. Get that wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Yardley, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Mighty. Uh, are you on social media at all? Do you want to shout? I am. Yeah. I mean, I'll tag you uh, when we post about this, but if you want to let yeah, the listeners I do. know. Yeah, I do. I actually do these funny um, videos called Simpson Sunday where I do uh, – I tell you things behind the scenes. Sometimes I take you behind the scenes on my at my ADR session. Oh, cool. I recently did, you know, the Dolly Parton challenge that's breaking the internet. Yeah, yeah. So I did it for Lisa Simpson. Oh, fun. <laughs> with uh, in, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, 
Instagram and Tinder. Oh, yep. <laughs> Swipe right and, on uh, Young Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's a it's a flash forward. We yeah, you'll have to see it. It's good. Lisa needs Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> dental and, plan. <laughs> and you know, there's that. Awesome. Uh, What's your Instagram handle? Oh well, at uh, Instagram. Oh, Yardley underscore Smith, and Twitter is just at Yardley Smith. Well, uh, give Yardley a follow. Uh, check out her podcast. Um, if this is the first time you're hearing about The Simpsons, I recommend giving it a watch. Check it out. A lot of people have liked it a lot for a long time. Uh, so that's uh, really exciting. I'm going to close out by saying that uh, in seventh grade, I took a 240-question Simpsons fan club test <gasps> written by a friend of mine that I went to school with. He came up with the 240 questions, and 10 of us all tried to take it to because we started creating fan clubs of our own in small groups. And it turns out we were all just like nerdy kids who had TV shows memorized. But we were like, all right, here's a 240-question quiz. You have to get 200 questions right to be on the to be in the Simpsons fan club. How did you do? I got 210 or something like that. Oh my God. Because when it's someone, your friend writing the questions, it's not, and before, this is pre-internet, so no one's like doing who wrote this episode, what's the, we didn't know the names of any episode. Now uh, viewers have like so much more deep knowledge, but we just had like uh, every Sunday night you watched until you heard about until it started repeating. Then you started watching it whenever it repeated. And it, my dad worked at Fox, uh, so that like we had like a little Fox pride at home. He worked for the ten o'clock news, the local news in New York. But we had a little pride in Fox. We watched Jeopardy Monday through Friday every night. But Sunday nights was uh, for, uh, well, eventually Simpsons was not always on Sundays. It was Thursdays. It was Thursdays. Until it beat Cosby and then it was Sundays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and who's still standing out of those two? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, so <laughs> I just want to say Simpsons was, and I'm, I'm a 37-year-old comedian, so it's not a surprise to hear that Simpsons was a huge part of my upbringing. But I want you to know that. I want Thank the listeners you. to hear that. The Simpsons was such a huge part of my life. So awesome to sit here across from You're you and great. just talk as colleagues. Uh, much so appreciated. Thank you so much, Yardley. Um, also, check out the episode of Raised by TV. Yardley was on with me and Lapkiss. It was a very fun episode. Um, and I'm at Gabrus on all social medias. Uh, and uh, bye, shitheads. That was a HeadGum Podcast.